Let's give it up one more time for our heroes. That was, that was fantastic. Thank you. That was, uh, that was very, very meaningful, you know, right there. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Nick Shaw. For those that don't know me, um, my wife, Bree, and I, I think I have a little picture uh, up here. This is my wife and uh, my little girl, Mari. And uh, we have uh, uh, the great privilege of working with our youth and family ministry, which is our middle school students, our high school students, and their families. And, uh, and it's a great honor for us. I was going to share about my daughter being my hero, because she is, but maybe I'll work that in some, you know, some, somehow in here. Um, Man, there are so many great heroes in our midst. We got a chance to invite, you know, the uh, doctor that helped, you know, birth, birth Mari. And she wasn't able to come, but she was just over the top grateful that we would even consider inviting her. And what she said, which I thought was really powerful, she just said, Nick, I, I just feel so appreciative that you guys are trying to appreciate what I'm trying to bring every day. Because even like looking out in the crowd, I know that you guys are like every day trying to bring something into this world. You're trying to bring good into the world. And usually the feedback that you get on that isn't always the most positive. You know what I'm saying? And so, man, I think we just need to, you know, there's this passage in, in Romans where it talks about outdoing one another and showing honor. And I think that we need to become just a culture that to, it just outdoes each other with showing honor to people that just did what they could in the midst of a really challenging time. And, uh, and so thank you for those of you that are heroes. We, we see you and we, and we just want to, I, I just want to get better in my own life at just appreciating the everyday heroes more and more and letting them know that, not just thinking it, but actually voicing it as well. Um, you know, if you, if you got your Bible, turn to Psalm 18. That's where we're going to be uh, for the, for the uh, service today. Um, so we're talking about heroes. You know, all of us, we, we, for some reason, we love those heroic stories, right? We love stories of good defeating evil, of the heroes, you know, defeating the villains, I don't know if you have a villain, you know, in your life. Uh, when I was a kid, I had a villain in my life um, that was my cousin, okay? My cousin, Tom, you might know, you might know this. This is Tom McGurk. Tom McGurk is my cousin. He's actually uh, out in Paris right now. A lot of you guys know him. But uh, Tom's five years older than me. And let's just say when he wasn't a minister and a fantastic husband and my hero now and a fantastic father, he was a jerk, okay? And so... So as a little sensitive, you know, uh, you know, little cousin that I was, I got offended pretty easily by him. So, you're, you know, we're playing games and he would just, he knew how to push, push my, my buttons and he would do it a lot. And so what do you do when your big cousin starts picking on you in that way? Well, you go find your bigger cousin that looks like Thor. <laughs> And you find your big, big cousin, Sean, and you take Sean with you to go try to beat up your other cousin, you know? And so actually, this is my cousin. He does do, you know, Comic-Con things as Thor and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, ever since, ever since, like, we are young, we love heroes. We want to be heroes. There's something inside of us from a really young age that we just, we want to be rescued. But we also want to be the rescuer, you know? We want to be the hero as well. There's something knit inside of us in our very DNA that wants to be, that wants to be a hero, that loves those kind of stories, that's drawn to those kind of stories. Why is that? Well, 
I think that's because that's who God is, right? God is, he loves the underdog story. He loves that good defeating evil. He loves taking nobodies and, and watching them become, become heroes. And obviously, you know, with us made in his image, it makes sense that we would also be drawn to those kind of stories ourselves. You know, God is the greatest hero of all, is he not? Psalm 18 is one of my favorite passages that talks about him in that way. And we're just going to, we're going to read this for, for a little bit. It starts off with this introduction. Um, David wrote this and it starts off with this introduction. It says, for the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So David is writing this poem, writing this song after he's been delivered from some crazy situations. It wasn't just like a bad day. It was a bad, it was a, it was, you know, you're, you're, you're in the middle of bloodshed. You're taking down a giant. You're supposed to be king. But then now the current king has you on the run, tried to murder you a couple of times. Now you're hiding away in caves, trying to get away from him. You're waiting for your time and not wanting to take time from away from God, but just wait on him. And so he writes this song after he's watched God deliver him. And it's a really powerful. It's a really powerful psalm. I love the way that it starts. Where David, he's writing this song about God being his hero. The first thing he says is, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. You know, this phrase, it's the only time this phrase is used in the scriptures. The only other times it even uses, if you look at the Hebrews, the only other time, this, the, word, the way that the word is used in this imperative form is the only time it's used in the Bible. Every other time this you know, phrase is, is alluded to and used, it's about what God feels for us. It is God's compassion that he feels for us. The word here is related to the word womb. And so how a mom feels about their kid in their womb is really how God feels about us. And so the only place that David, when he's trying to describe it, he's just trying to start off this song. He uses something that nobody else, nobody else used. It's only a term that God feels about us, but David is feeling this for God. He says, God, he says, I love you, Lord. What that shows me is that God is relational. He wasn't just some powerful being that fought David's fights for him. He wasn't just a genie that he said, hey, can you take care of this? And he did it and delivered him. He says, well, what gets someone to say, I love you, Lord? It was relational. David had a relationship with God. I love how he says that. And then he says, I love you, Lord, my strength. What I think is interesting is he doesn't say, I love you, Lord, because you make me strong. He says, I love you, Lord, my very strength. You are everything that, that is able to do anything in me. It's not just because of you, but it is you inside of me. It is you that causes me to be, to be strong. My very strength, I love you, Lord, my strength. And he goes on, he uses nine phrases to talk about God. It says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You know, this wasn't just somebody that believed God existed 
or just believed that God was there to make him a better person. He was somebody that experienced God, that walked with God, for him to use these phrases for God in this way. Then he goes on. He says, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. I mean, this is an intense, you know, this is intense phrasing right here and wording right here. He's not like, God, I just had a bad, I had a bad day. He's like, the ropes of death have ensnared me. I feel so low. I feel like death itself is right there. I can't get out. I'm trapped. It was this intense thing that God, that, that David right here is feeling. And he's just being honest before God. Say, I'm feeling this right now. You ever feel that way? Feel those intense feelings and you just need to, just need to get it out. Even if it sounds kind of dramatic. But it's like, we, sometimes we need just to kind of get it out that way. And David, he goes on and he says, but what, you know, what does he do in his distress? I love it. It says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. You know, one of the craziest phrases of all time is found right here. Where it says, he heard my voice. You're telling me that, that God who sits enthroned above the universe, who created, who knows, who's outside of time and space, who created us, who created everything that we know of, who every breath that I take now is because he chooses to give me that breath. He could take it away. That he knows everything that's ever been done on the planet. That David says, I know him. That I know when I'm in my distress, I just put out a word. That God hears my voice. He is attentive to my cries. That is ridiculous. That is insane. That for, for each of us, when we speak to God, when we throw out a cry to God, he hears you. The little insignificant blip on the radar, nobody that is us. He hears that being. There's, he hears you. That is wild. He hears my voice. And what happens when he hears that cry? You know, imagine God, it's kind of like him walking through a forest and he can hear something in the distance and he hears this cry for help in the distance. And he knows the sound of that cry. He's like, that's my, that's my son. That's my daughter. And then God's like, you, you just kind of hear him just kind of get real serious and be like, I can hear them, I can hear them crying for help. And then this is what, this is what God does. It says, um, can you go to the next slide? It might have turned off on me. We'll just read it if you're in Psalm 18. There you go. It says, the earth <clears throat> trembled and quaked and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. 
Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came out of his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. God hears this cry. He rips heavens open. He rips the heavens open. And he comes to rescue his son. Comes to rescue his daughter. He comes, and not just like, he comes, it says fire is, is coming out of him. Smoke is coming out of him. He's saying he gets on the cherubim, and the cherubim, I don't think, you know, is like one of these. Go to the next one. Isn't like one of these guys right here? Someone might have to help me with this clicker. It's not one of these guys, okay? That's not what we usually think of with cherubim. Go to the next one. This is what the cherubim were. God gets on one of these and starts, opens up the heaven and starts coming after to rescue his kid. Then it goes on and it says, he made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Out of the dark rain clouds of the sky, out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. God hears his cries and he absolutely roars out of heaven to come rescue us. And I love what it says next. It says, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. I love this right here. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You know, I love that he uses that word delighted. He doesn't use because God loved me. He uses a different word because God delighted in me. You know, I can't think of a word that better describes how I feel about my daughter sometimes. Where there's times where I'm just looking at her as she's doing something, she's just playing on the ground. And it's like, I feel delight. I feel delight. I just, I just can't help. There's moments where I'm just sitting there. I start smiling. I start laughing at myself, you know, and at her because she's funny, but also because she's like, I just delight. I delight in her. And that's how God feels about us. He is obsessed with you. He's obsessed with you. He's the ultimate rescuer. You know, in 2 Samuel 22, David's at the end of his life. Maybe he wrote this kind of towards the beginning when he was seeing great victories. In 2 Samuel, he, uh, he's at the end of his life. And he, his son had just ran him out of his own kingdom. And then his son, David's kind of sitting there in the brokenness of his own sin and his own, his own mistakes. And his son is killed. And so David's at the end of his life, broken in the pain of, of life, like many of us go through. And it's at the very end, the writer of 2 Samuel puts Psalm 18 right there at the end. Where at the very end, even in the midst of David's pain and brokenness, he still says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Even in his old age, looking back at a life full of victory, but also full of pain, 
he can say that the Lord is still his hero, his deliverer. You know, there's a book out there uh, called Hero on a Mission. It talks about how often in the story of our lives, there are four characters that end up playing out, and we become these four different characters, the villain, the victim, the hero, and the guide, and says that often throughout life, we play all these roles. Actually, in a given day, you probably play these different, these different roles. But it's easy to become, you know, life happens to all of us, like crazy intense things happen in life to all of us. And it's easy, like really how life goes is how you respond to those challenges that come up in life. It's so easy sometimes to become a victim where you just give up hope. It would have been easy for David to do that. You can become the villain and now you start blaming everything else for your problems. You start becoming the critic that's getting negative about things, starts getting negative about yourself, but you're kind of blaming other people for their problems. And David could have easily became that. Actually, that's what Saul became and what Absalom became. They became the villain. Or you can become the hero that chooses to take life's challenges and then go to God, cry out to God, the ultimate hero, be rescued by him, and then overcome your challenges to become a hero. And you know, Jesus is the ultimate example of that. Jesus faced extraordinary challenges. To know that a whole town of kids might have been put to death because you could have been there and for him to feel that guilt, for him to maybe lose his dad at a young age, to see his friends pass away, to see his best friends desert him and flee. Jesus went through some intense challenges. But what did he do? He said in those intense challenges that made him the hero that we know. Hebrews 5, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Jesus became a hero the same way that David did because he just cried out. He cried out to God. You know, my greatest hero is is Jesus. Jesus is my hero. And if you don't believe that Jesus was a hero, you know, there has never been a more influential man in the history of humanity than Jesus. There's never been a man whose existence has changed the world quite like Jesus. And as we finish out here, I want to give you some examples of this, okay? First of all, our entire calendar is built around this guy's birth. That every king and ruler and president and authority to ever exist is dated in reference to the ultimate king. That for like, he changed every aspect of human civilization. He changed medicine. Jesus was, you know, a prominent teacher taught to take care of those that were sick and in need. So his followers went out and started, started these volunteer uh, places to get help for the sick. You might have heard of those things. They're called hospitals, okay? <laughs> Jesus' followers, some of the people that helped start some of those things. Some of the biggest charities in the world were started by people that were trying to follow Jesus. Human rights, that was really, human rights has become a thing because of the teachings of Jesus. Justice for people, acceptance of those different than you, fairness and equality for all people, those are Jesus' teachings, aren't they? The idea of the strong being held accountable for how they treat those that are weaker, is from Jesus. The idea of not fighting for your rights, that is so tempting for us to do in this country, to fight for your rights. Jesus said, I'm giving up my rights for the sake of the people around me. He changed education. 
Many of the universities in our country right now, like Harvard, were started to train Christian priests. Our modern education system is rooted in the foundations of Jesus. He never wrote a book, yet the book of his life is the most translated and sold and stolen, which is kind of ironic, of all time. And thousands of books that fill bookstores and libraries have been written about his life. No one today has seen his face, yet it is one of, most, one of the most recognizable in all of art. And Christianity has inspired some of the greatest artistic works known to man. We don't have any music that Jesus created, yet he is the only man in history to have an entire genre of music in his honor. Gospel music. Jesus never held political office, yet he transformed governments and laws around the world. He didn't have any kids, yet parents everywhere model their parenting after his example. He didn't have a wife, yet millions of husbands have studied him to become better husbands. He took 12 unschooled and ordinary men and made them into the most powerful movements the world has ever known. Thousands of people throughout history have made the decision that they would rather have death than live a life without their hero, Jesus. People have been burned alive, eaten by lions, hung, crucified, and tortured because this guy was so worth it to them. And one day it says that every knee will bow to this hero, to this king. <laughs> Education, politics, literature, government, art, music, social work, societal norms, philanthropy, business, parenting, marriage. Jesus has revolutionized every aspect of human existence. There has never been a hero like Jesus. You know, as, we're, as we close today, I think there's three ways that we can respond to our hero, to become like the hero that we want to be. Three things to me that Jesus did and that David did uh, to me that made them the hero that they are. One is, and to me, is things that we can follow as we leave today. One is to get to know this revolutionary man. If you don't know anything about him or you're new to Jesus or haven't really looked into him before or just know about him as the little baby that comes out at Christmas time, or, um, that, that's, that's, many of our, that's many of our stories in this room, you know, is how we, we have to get to know this guy and get to know who Jesus is. And so maybe start picking up the Bible and reading it or talking about it with a friend and get a chance to really dive into this extraordinary man uh, to exist and to change the world. Or maybe you've been following him for a long time, but you need to dive back into the Gospels and get a chance just to just to hang out with him some more again and to become more like him and spend some time with him. The other one is just to cry out to him. If you're hurting or confused or in pain, cry out because he hears your voice and he wants to hear your voice and wants to come to your rescue. Speak to him often. Cry out daily. Get on your knees, not just once, just get on your knees and just cry out to the Lord that can rescue you. And lastly, thank him. You know, for me, it's so easy for me, even this past week, to get critical and negative and complainy about my life. And I read Psalm 116 that just said, return to my rest, your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. And I was like, I'm the most blessed man of all time. God has been so good to me. He has rescued me from so many things. And I need to remind myself of that daily. And I think every day, taking time just to 
think about how God has been good to you and how he's rescued you. Amen. We're going to pray for our communion. That is an amazing moment every week that we get to remember the greatest rescue mission of all time, of what Jesus did for us, dying for us, and rising from the dead. We're going to pray for that and take that, uh, take that communion with one another. Father, <clears throat> we love you, Lord, our strength. You are, are our deliverer, our rock, our refuge, our safe place in the storm. You are our hero. Thank you so much for rescuing us, for taking us out of the deep waters, for putting us into the spacious place. God, thank you for delighting in us. I pray that you can help us delight in you. You can help us become more like you and walk with you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came on a rescue mission for us. Help us remember him in this moment for all that he's done and all that he continues to do every day in our lives. We love you, Lord, our strength. Amen.